Without people, despite technology, nothing gets done. Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and this month, before I introduce my guest, I'd like to set the scene with a story about how I came to invite him to join me. Like a lot of tech professionals, I spend a great deal of time on LinkedIn, and I really appreciate good content, particularly the type that stops me in my tracks and really engages me. And on this occasion, I came across an infographic posted by someone who was outside my network, and it was about the mindset shifts needed to transform an organization for the post-pandemic world. Now, this post talked about moving from hierarchies to networks and from profit to purpose. I really wanted to dig into that. And the post's author very kindly agreed to be my podcast guest. So step forward, David Dame, who, when I came to research him, is so much more than a provider of interesting content for LinkedIn. David is the Director of Accessibility at Microsoft, a thought leader on inclusive innovation, leadership and organisational change. So this episode has suddenly got much bigger and with so much to talk about and to discuss, which way do I jump first? Well, I'm going to try and use this time well to cover as much with David as I possibly can, because I'm very lucky to get this time with him. David, welcome. Thank you. Super happy to be here. So help me out by telling me a bit more about yourself and which of these topics that I've sort of been touching on is the one that really motivates you every day. So my name is Dave Dame, obviously. I was born with cerebral palsy. So when I was born in 1971, my parents were told Dave may not live past 12. Dave may never be able to speak clearly, if at all. And even if he does, don't expect much because there's not much that someone with this condition can do. So they actually advised my parents to put me in an institution. Luckily, they didn't. Luckily, they weren't really innovators, but they knew what struggle was, and they they weren't afraid of whatever challenges would be in front of them. So it was, I was born in a, in a generation before there was accessibility rights and many things that people could do. But luckily, as I was born, this was happening and technology was starting to emerge. And for the first time ever, I think it gave people with different abilities an opportunity because technology allowed us to create the world that didn't exist in the physical world today. So, And I was able to leverage technology to minimize those mismatches in the environment. How I like to define my cerebral palsy is, it's not my cerebral palsy that holds me back, rather the environment able to accommodate my cerebral palsy that holds me back. So growing up, I learned what it was to be a change agent from the early days because I was facing mismatches in the school system, in society, and even when I hit the workforce, only to find out even though I graduated with computer science and business, my ability to be able to see mismatches in environments led me to be an agile expert because I've always had to manage a lot of stuff through others. I I got to become a better leader because of it. And I recently switched to Microsoft to focus on accessibility 
because I was one of the first people to break the glass ceiling and become an executive at Scotiabank Digital. And when I turned 50, I'm like, you know, before that, I always wondered what I wanted to be when I grew up. At 50, I started shifting my thinking, how do I want to leave the world when I'm no longer here? And it made me pivot my career to join Microsoft so I can help others like me achieve what I have, hopefully with a lot less struggle. Because I always like to say, we're all going to be disabled one day, just some of us beat you to it. So when you ask me that question, what do I enjoy? It's all of them. Because I think if you want to create a culture, if you want to get the most out of people, the leader is more than a title. How do you act as if you are a leader? How do you support others as if you were a leader? And to me, that is the great big thing. And when the pandemic came, I always like to say it was really interesting because it gave everybody a sense to feel what it would be like to live with a disability. Because think about it, their world changed overnight. They could no longer go to the bank like they used to. They could no longer go to the grocery store like they used to. They had to change how they visited loved ones. So for the first time, they were forced to deal with all these mismatches, giving them empathy and really figuring out what kind of toolkit do they need to work and lead in a remote distributed culture? What are your thoughts? My thought immediately is I'd love to know who gave you your first break or does that give them too much credit? Is it you who've broken down the glass ceiling, as it were? I don't think I can take the credit. I think I've been always fortunate to run into those progressive people. Because I I went into tech, right? When I was going to high school and I didn't know if I wanted computer science or business, my dad walked down the stairs and said, listen, David, being in a wheelchair, let's be honest, you're not going to be a fireman, police officer, or a construction worker. But you know what else you're not going to be? Living under my roof for free the rest of your life. So you better figure it out. So I went to school for comp sci and business. And a lot of my first jobs were in tech companies. I think I got lucky where I chose an industry where people may be a little more progressive, or I was just fortunate and found those good people that gave me a chance to do it. I think once I got that chance, I took full advantage of the opportunity. But I think if it wasn't for them along the way, supporting me, advocating for me, and let's be honest, put in the extra work to mind shift the organization of this is what you need to do when you hire somebody with a disability. And this is how you grow their career with a disability. It could be simple and starts off with is there ramps, are the doors wide enough, are the bathrooms accessible? But then it goes into have we onboarded them? Do we do right team building inclusive events? Do we have travel policies where if he's got to travel for work, he can bring his helper? So they had to be a learner to learn my needs. They had to be an educator to help the organization do it while doing their day job. So I think I got lucky where I found the right people, but then I worked my butt off to take advantage of every one of those opportunities. 
And when you're trying to lead into tech company where the name of the game is get it out, be first, be fast, and learn from your customer, it kind of paralleled what I had to do in life was get out, stumble, fall, learn fast, find a different way to do it. So I think I've been lucky where I've had a career that mirrored what I had to do for life, but my life reflects a lot of good lessons that organizations can learn to be agile and more adept to deliver things. Absolutely. And and now that you're at Microsoft doing the accessible technology piece, what, what are you focusing on? What's your kind of uh, big priority there? Our priority at Microsoft is to enable everyone on the planet. Uh, my mission or what I consider my, you know, what my uh, vision is, I want to be the chosen products for people with disabilities. I want them to choose our Surface device. I want them to use Windows and apps so they can build and create. But what my focus is really is what people don't realize is the invisible tax people with disabilities got to pay to do the simplest things. Like, for example, when most person people want to draft an email or a document, they pull out their laptop, open the screen, turn it on, and begin working. If you have a disability, you got to struggle to get your laptop on the desk. You got to fig- you got to put a lot of effort to open it up. You have a lot of effort to get it going and then to put it away. So I'm trying to focus on the journey of what a person with a disability or a different mismatch in their environment goes through to use their device. Regardless of disability, including aging, how do we create technology where if we get another pandemic, how do we ensure we have the ability to connect to those people we care about, to tell them we love them one more time? And you've actually spoken about how irritating it is for you on on Teams when you can't contribute to the written chat at the same time as as talking. Yeah, that's correct. So... This is the thing, and it reminds me too, and I'm on my learning curve for accessibility. You would think I'd be an expert at it. The first thing I learned was there was other disabilities other than cerebral palsy. So there's deaf, blind, and visible disabilities. So when the pandemic hit, for me, having a limited mobility disability, asynchronous communication became impossible. Where, you know, we're in a meeting and then there's a side chat, I can't keep up with the checks. I can't dictate to my chat when I'm in the meeting, right? So I'm being excluded to one communication vehicle. So for me, it's almost impossible. In normal times, that was poor meeting etiquette. If I'm talking in a meeting you're hosting, I'm being a bad meeting participant. But now it's almost encouraged to get, you know, while you're on video side conversations going, That's even emails, right? I'll be in a three-way email or email with a bunch of others, and they're iterating really quick by reply all, reply all, reply all. By the time I respond to the one, I'm 12 replies behind. So how do you fix that? I think until technology can catch up and find ways, we need that proper etiquette, where if we know somebody that is typing challenge, Let's give time for everybody to have a voice and respond. In a meeting, if we see a side chat, 
ask somebody at the end, does anybody have anything they would like to contribute, right? And then, so my disability aside, other disabilities, they love asynchronous communication. They find it less stressful. They find an easier way to get their word in. They find it more comfortable. So I think what this new remote world has taught us is flexibility is key. Options are a key. But inclusion is going to be double the work. A lot of innovative technology we've created was first made for people with disabilities that the rest of the world used. If we look at closed captioning on our TVs, it used to be for the seeing impaired. Now we find parents with newborns that want to rock their baby and still follow a TV program will read the subtitles. We've been all at a bar where we're trying to watch the newscast. It's loud, but we can read the closed caption because even though we might not have a hearing impairment, depending on what environment we're in, we might. So building accessibility to me is just building for every situation that used to get excluded. No, absolutely. And so we've talked about the post-pandemic world quite a lot, actually. And um, the original post that, that, that pulled me in to talk to you, that, that you shared, I don't think you wrote it yourself, but you shared it. And it, it seemed like a manifesto for a different kind of organizational structure about sort of empowering people rather than controlling them and experimenting and transparency. Is, is this um, the way you see organizations heading post-pandemic or, or is it a bit of a, a, a pipe dream, really? Before I totally answer that, those were the good values Agile was trying to bring through before pandemic and modern organizations by chasing purpose and value. Because if we chase the money, there'll be a new idea tomorrow or the next day. But if we have a vision that's compelling and can be flexible, we can alter our products and services to chase the value and not the money. People usually misconflute value equals money and it's not. Value is something somebody wants. The money is what they're worth or willing to pay to get that value. But nonprofits do a lot of value, but they don't make money. But I think if you have a compelling value, like when I told you my vision was to be the number one choice of people with disabilities, that means so many things in one sentence, right? It doesn't limit me just to selling hardware or just software. It's how do I enable them to be their best selves? And then I can choose that. And the way leadership works, right? We've been coaching leaders, I think, Anybody that's listening to your podcast, we've been always trying to push down decision-making as low as we can to empower everybody to make decisions. The modern organizations did that well. The ones that didn't still had the, well, if I'm not standing over you, how do I know you're working? In comes the pandemic where you can't stand over people anymore. You got to trust they're going to deliver the outcomes you want without standing over them. And we made a mistake early in the pandemic, right? All that serendipitous communication or walk-bys were getting replaced by hard calendar items that made people feel they had to be in meetings all day and they could only do their real job at night. I think if we want to get productivity and flexibility, organizations 
the one thrive into this is going to have to change this way of thinking because I don't think we're ever going to go back to how things were before the pandemic. I don't think we're going to stay how things are fully remote. It's going to be a new thing in between. And if we don't have those things, like we said, pushing decision-making down, uh, purpose over profit or things like that, companies are going to have trouble attracting the talent they need to be successful. It won't be just salary anymore. Now it's going to be flexibility. Can I be in the office where it makes sense when we're doing discovery or ideating work where we can get in front of the whiteboard and be uber creative? But when it comes time to really put it together and deliver it, can I work from home where I got quiet? I can look after my kids, do stuff around the house and have that flexibility. Organizations and people won't be restricted by their geographic location. They can live where they want, work what they want, and work when they want. So now that's what you're competing against. If it's not just money, if it's not just ping pong tables, what are we going to do to encourage to get those people in? I think before the pandemic, it was considered a pipe dream. And people don't challenge it. They've just never been in an organization where they've experienced it. And if you haven't experienced it, it does feel like a fairy tale. But now with the pandemic, some of these things had to happen in order for them to continue to operate. The real question is, how fast are they going to learn they can't resort back to their old ways and not continue progressing to these new ways? And time will tell. Absolutely. I think time will tell. Um, and we are very, very early days. What do you think about the sort of basic idea, which is um, coming much more to the fore about putting people at the heart of technology? I mean, I come across this a lot now because, you know, doing ERP implementations, teams are saying for the first time, actually, you need to look after people's mental health. It's a bit of a struggle doing some of these um, technology um, projects. And I'm quite glad to see people starting to talk about what the human cost is of that kind of business. It's funny, right? And it's funny and scary. So we went through the challenges of getting the world to learn about people with physical disabilities or visible disabilities. We had to go through a charter of rights We had to make it where it wasn't okay to not have a ramp. It wasn't okay to not have an elevator. And we've come a long ways in terms of physical and visible disabilities. Sadly, we're reliving the stigma again when it becomes invisible disabilities and mental health. Mental health was likely always there, but in today's pressure of do more faster, complex work, People are going to need downtime because they're doing more complex work and less repetitive work, right? So when you're doing technology ERP, even if you're rewriting a system, it's not copy-paste. You're actually rebuilding new features, innovations, updating it. It's complex work. And I think as humans, we got used to pushing that down and not doing ourselves any favors where we got high blood pressure, diabetes, stress. I think now we've come to realize humans have a certain threshold and boundary. 
and we got to be mindful for it because now we're in a knowledge economy where okay if dave can't do it we'll get mikey to come in we'll get michelle to come in because now we're knowledge workers where we have expertise just getting more bodies doesn't help the problem so when you can't get multiple bodies to do repetitive work you put more pressure and strain and dependency on that individual person so if we don't start caring about the people and if you think about the workplaces you've worked in when you've had teams and people that care about you you do your best work don't you when you can easily text in and say you know what i'm not feeling it today it's not a good day for me either i'm sick or i just don't have the same energy level and that's what's good about remote work some days might not be a good day at the start and you know what take time relax and then go to your work start in the afternoon when you're ready or have energy but the more we really put people at the center of things because let's face it without people despite technology nothing gets done we think about shutting down our computers we think about rebooting our computers we think about reformatting them re-updating them to do good health cleanse for the machines right in factories we shut down the factories so often to do maintenance why wouldn't we do that for humans and do that for ourselves what makes us uniquely different than everything else in the world that needs downtime and we got to remember downtime is no longer lazy self-care is no longer selfish self-care is needed because not everybody's going to look out and go you know what you should take some time off or a break we got to be our biggest advocate in self-care we've all ridden the airlines where they say when the oxygen masks drop put it on yourself before someone else and i think organizations and as people we got to say hey we need a break now, i know you push yourself because i've seen stuff that you say <laughs> on linkedin you push yourself mentally and physically so do you want to just uh, we'll wrap this by telling me about that 5k walk you did that looked like it was a real struggle before the pandemic started i put on a lot of weight Early on in the pandemic, it didn't help either. I was like everyone else, oh, bread maker. Um, but when you have cerebral palsy and you put on a lot of weight, it becomes a multiplier of challenge. So I decided to get back into shape to do a 5K walk to raise money for the Terry Fox Foundation, which is a foundation that does cancer research. Now, a lot of people said, Dave, why wouldn't you just do a cause like cerebral palsy? And I think as humans, we got to put our own struggles and hardships aside to help others. So when we're diversity and purpose, we can make hope inclusive for all. So I trained for a year and a half and I usually use a power wheelchair. I lost 54 pounds, got myself into shape to walk five kilometers. I was able to raise $70,000. It took me four hours and 15 minutes to walk it. My toes are still bruised, but I was able to start working out through, uh, three days later. But the reason why I like to do it is as a leader, 
I think you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, not only to prove it to yourself or to do that, but to have empathy for somebody that's doing something that they feel daunting so you can appreciate what they're going through when you got to support them through it. So I was glad I was able to do it. It jump-started a good health regimen that the pandemic actually brought on, so I'm going to keep it up. But it really let me um, get reacquainted with the empathy needed when you're dealing with people that might be going through something they feel overwhelming or impossible or just different or insecure. So that way I can channel that feeling when I'm trying to help them through it. Fantastic. I mean, that's basically a marathon that you did. I did a marathon um, and it took me about four hours, 40 minutes. And I felt that, you know, after I'd done that, I could probably do anything because once you do, once you face that kind of physical challenge mentally, it's probably quite easy to do other stuff. Well, you mentioned it. It's more mentally than physically. Your body's in condition, but about three quarters of the way through, you're in so much pain. It's your brain. Your brain wants you to quit but you're like one more step. And when you do things like that, it's a stepping stone for other achievements. And it might not be a 5K walk, it's whatever your listener has. What is a challenge for them that they can use as a building block for other challenges? I so agree with you, that, that's brilliant. Let's leave it there because that's a perfect upbeat place to end. Thank you so much for joining me, Dave. It's been great to meet you. That's it for this episode of The Growth Business. I do hope you'll subscribe to hear more each month and to check out some of the previous episodes. For now, goodbye.